0: To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod. Use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, July 28th, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake, and here with me is George... Calvez, and we are going to try to unpack why the day after a Fed rate hike with the U.S. in or on the brink of recession, U.S. stocks are rallying at the same time that bond yields are falling. George, I'm so happy you're here to sort of help us make sense of this because we had another 1% gain across the board for U.S. stock uh, indices after a monster rally yesterday and the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield down to 2.6%. So what do you make of this market action? What is it telling us?
2: Well, great to be back on. And it's definitely a confusing and maddening market, uh, to, to say the least. Um, you know, like we're we're experiencing this kind of what you, know, you can characterize it as a relief rally. You could also characterize it as you know, perhaps the Fed now will come back and save the day because we've seen things get so bad that eventually this forces the Fed to you know stop in its tracks or maybe even have to unwind some of these hikes in the near future. I mean, to me, that you know is you know, very wishful thinking on the part of the market. Uh, But, you know, there is an element of the connection, which is very mechanical, especially within the tech stocks and the rates market. These are long duration assets with the 10 year rate rallying as much as it has and the curve maintaining its inversion and rates heading lower is making stocks, again, a little bit attractive on a relative basis. But also this kind of discount factor argument and long cash flows inside tech companies. That's really, I think, what's at the, the, the crux of what's behind this big move in the last two or three days.
1: Yeah, and I and I think you're right. You know, it's it's we we hear a lot of people talking about the Fed pivot. It does seem that people have sort of. Played out the things they think are going to happen based on some of this data that's come in. Decided the Fed's going to have to abandon this aggressive stance, and they're kind of front running all of the things that that implies. As you just said, let's start with with some of the factors in those assumptions. We had a negative reading on GDP, right, the big growth measure today, but we saw Janet Yellen, U.S. Treasury Secretary, President Biden, both coming out. I mean, all over Washington, the political narrative is like. Whoa, We're not in recession. It's not that bad. Don't just look at that minus side in front of the number. Um, Where do we know or what are you looking at to try to figure out putting that politics aside, you know, whether we're in recession, how severe it's going to be? I mean, what is the growth picture that you're looking at?
2: So, look, I've been pretty pessimistic all throughout 2022 and heading into this year. I thought the growth slowdown would happen more towards the back half of the year. But nonetheless, we've gotten. Yeah, we've gotten basic confirmation. This is a, this is a weak year, and it's a a reflection of a boom bust cycle, a very classical kind of a lot of a lot of growth, kind of sugar high that we had in late twenty 2020 twenty into twenty twenty one. That you kind of give it all back, and then some, which I think is what the process that we're going through right now, and and it's led to at at a minimum shallow growth and weaker than ex- expected. That's that's number one. And and look, it, we could be technically in a recession. There's a lot of moving parts that go into calculations of the GDP. I'm not going to defend one side or the other. I do think that growth is definitely uh, weak and has been decelerating for quite some time. It sets itself for a really bad second half, though. And this is the part that I, I, I'm going to emphasize again, that the Fed is not coming to the rescue anytime soon. In times past, whenever we get like evidence of weakness, everyone can always bank on, well, the Fed will eventually either cut rates, do QE, do something, to kind of you know come in and, and save the day. And also, the U.S. government would figure out some sort of stimulus me- measures to kind of also back- backstop things as well. We're not going to get either of those, and we're still reeling from the strong dollar, and rates are still generally higher, and credit spreads are still higher. I think you know we- we're moving from the rate shock period to the credit shock period, which will happen in the second half into the early part of 23, and growth will you know then I think we get a proper recession, not this technical like this whole. You know, Going back and forth and debating the technical recession, we could very well be in one or some very shallow period once we get the numbers all um, figured out. But mm-hmm. I'm more concerned about the outlook, not, not, not so much what happened in the rearview mirror. And, and the outlook does not look that great. Like where where's the catalyst for upside? And no one really has a good answer for me.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really important. And and for those of you who didn't get a chance to listen to Lynn Alden and Lou Groman's uh, conversation on the platform, you know there are leading indicators and lagging indicators, and some of the stuff lags. I know people pointed to the labor market; it's so tight. How can you have a recession when you have you know unemployment at three percent? Bre- you know, Do you worry that we'll start to see a lot of that stuff that still looks strong roll over? Certainly, you you have a great one. I don't know if we're going to be able to get it up in time, but certainly the U.S. consumer is not fooled by any of this because people went from searching madly for inflation to now searching madly about recession. Nobody yeah. wants to lose their job. I mean, we all've been through that. Everybody went through it, you know, with COVID, everybody. Nobody, you know, job security is a real thing and I don't think people are nervous about that. Yeah. When will we see all that
2: growth roll over? I mean, let me pull up slide 3 if, if possible. Slide 3 is again a view of the unemployment rate and then a 12-month change, which is the black line underneath of the the, the rate of change of the actual unemployment rate. And whenever that line goes up about a half a percent from the local lows, which is basically where we are now, which will put the unemployment rate at four point one, then that might confirm that we're in a recession, but it won't stop at four point one it'll probably end up going at five and a half, 6. I don't think we're obviously going to repeat the covid shock i mean i don't I don't think that's happening anytime soon, but I mean a garden variety recession that lasts you know for a little bit longer that goes into twenty three is more likely uh, and we have a sixty percent probability of that uh and with today's numbers that you know kind of Excuse it more to the upside that we're starting off from a very relative weak base. Yes, labor market is strong, but it's also we're making up for the lost jobs that were that were lost during the pandemic and bringing it back online. So we're not really you know fully backfilling things in the way that should be. We should have produced even more jobs. You know, if this was a proper really healthy recovery, and so I, I'm nervous about that. It's like that we're, we're 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 you know cheerleading and taunting like well we've. Create all these jobs or we just put people back to work that used to be working anyway, or they, they've shifted their focus and skills to some other area. But nonetheless, we're getting the overall labor force participation rate to where it should have been. And even that is lagging. So I, I feel like, yes, jobs market will will have to turn and that will be you know, probably a Q4 or you know Q1 experience. And then people will really believe it's a recession. And then that's where it hits, the rubber hits the road. And then you get the, then but look, we're going to go through various cycles, Markets love narratives and you know, short-term, you know, stories to make them feel good about what their decisions are. And we're going through this, you know, little bear market rally here. But I feel like, you know, as we get the proof positive that this truly is rolling over, there's nothing that's going to, you know, save the save the economy unless you know we clean up some of this bad credit. Then, you know, the latter half latter half of '23 will be a good, hopefully, a better time period. But I think we're still, you know, r- rough sledding ahead.
1: Yeah. So uh, Jojo asked an interesting question, um, and I think we're talking about this right now. What do you do when the price action and the data disagree? I'm going to add to that a little bit. It's the confusion we talked about at the top. People see the stock market rallying and they think, oh, OK, like, you know, we're all thinking, is it bottomed? Should we be getting in? Should it why is important for people who are listening who may be primarily invested in equities or in crypto why is it important to pay attention to the bond market right now? I mean, it's a little biased because you're a bond guy. And I'm asking you that. But why Why are, Why are? should we be t- paying attention to that, that drop in yields and what the bond market's telling us?
2: Look, the bond market is still signaling that there's um, some uncertainty around the macro outlook and that it's not clear that the Fed can actually turn the corner just quite yet. And on top of that, actually, the bond market is c- quite relieved and saying, well, this aggressive fed is you know really proving its inflation credentials and and it's going to continue to go and that might invert the curve even further but the fed has control of the short end they can lift rates as high as they want that's just going to further make the recession worse down the road and so the bond market long end long end investors are actually taking some solace and saying the fed is doing its job but that means that the the risk is that the growth outlook is going to get even worse from here not better and that's something that i think risk market investors are not quite understanding or used to, the Fed only pivots when they really, you know, well, one, we've had not an inflation problem going into a slowdown. And that's that's very unusual for, for markets to understand and get their heads around it. And the Fed hasn't stopped yet. And, and the inflation problem hasn't turned the corner yet either. We're trying to guess those those three things and trying to pinpoint that the Fed will blink and therefore save the day. And we can't guarantee that until we know that we've gotten through the inflation story and We know that growth either has bottomed or will continue to worsen from here.
1: Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads
1: I want to put up a tweet that um, that Real Vision CEO, Rob Powell, uh, put out today. Um, it's a chart. Um, he also, as everyone knows, really closely watches the bond market. And he sh- put something out. It's quite technical, but it showed bond yields breaking below what what is a head and shoulders pattern. Um, and you could see it. That's why they call it that. I mean, you could see it, it looks like that on the chart. But um, and and he's pointing out that that is. An indication that growth and inflation expectations begin to fall. I'm I'm, I'm going to ask you if you agree with that and push back a little bit on the inflation part. I think we just covered why the um, the growth outlook is slowing and and you know maybe some of the indicators that look good are still lagging. What about that inflation part? What would we Where is the evidence that that's going to roll over in the same way growth is? Are bonds telling that, telling us that? And is is there a risk that that doesn't happen? Because I think this is where the big debate between, especially the commodity folks, but you know those in the the sticky inflation camp and those who are not, really disagree on how persistent is that inflation. Are you seeing evidence that inflation is going to roll over?
2: Like I was like I was just saying before the bond market again. Not just in terms of the treasury market, but the TIPS market, the inflation expectations that are implied thereof and inflation swaps, all of the, you know, all of the smart money around inflation markets are saying that, hey, inflation is coming down. And in fact, actually, you know, the break-evens, these spreads between treasuries and tips have compressed a lot. So the bond market's giving a, a signal and, and a, a good report card to the Fed saying that you're going to do your job because we believe you. Now, the, again, this is a, a similar situation like we saw at the beginning of the year. We price things in before they actually happen. So like, we're mm-hmm. in the massive hiking cycle before the Fed delivered them. And now we're pricing in. The Fed's going to have to cut them and take them, take them back. And we're also uh, assuming that they're going to win the battle on inflation. And that's what the tips market is saying. It's possible the bond market might get it wrong. I mean, I think we're generally right in, in the right direction. But we, what's it's going to be a very ambiguous period around which part of inflation is going to head lower? Because yes, some of the you know the higher frequency and the commodities markets will probably turn faster if indeed the economy is you know decelerating more and growth and all that you know globally could come off and that will help bring down uh, commodity inflation. But the food inflation is a little bit sticky. The Fed mentioned it also yesterday. That was a I think it's something very noteworthy to kind of point out that they're focused on inflation because that hits everybody uh, and you know not just you know energy commodities. Uh, And then there's the owner's equivalent rent and just overall rent and housing inflation operates at a huge lag. So this is very ambiguous period that we won't know for sure until like Q1 of next year. And Mm -hmm. that's a lot of ground to cover for people to get bulled up on any asset class between now and then.
1: Yeah, that's a great, great point. You know, I think that uh, Jim Bianco and Joseph Wang had a conversation uh, uh, yesterday. I think it aired today on the platform. Uh, you can go check it out, the full interview there. But Jim was expressing concern that maybe about the level of bond market volatility that we've seen. Right, we're used to equity market volatility. When you're looking at bonds, they don't usually exhibit, you know, at least over long periods of time or, or, or months at a time. This sort of Same kinds of swings. We don't expect that. I mean, he's noticed it and he's concerned about it. Let's have a listen to that uh, clip from that interview.
3: And I agree with you as far as up and down the line, you look at measures in the bond market and you could argue that it is somewhat dysfunctional, whether you look at realized volatility. Look at what's happening in the bond market right now. You know, we could go 24 hour periods with 20 basis point moves in the bond market. Uh, Pre-COVID, the 20 basis point move was like, like, you know, a special show on CNBC with no commercials for an hour. Oh my God, look what's <laughs> happened in the bond market. Now it happens twice a week and no one notices anymore that the bond market does this. Measures of bond market implied volatility like the move have not hit all time highs, but have been in the upper 5% of the numbers we've seen in the last 30 years equal to where they were in the spring of 2020. So the, you know, the total return losses, I've tweeted that chart out many times, is at an all time record for 2022, um, for the bond market. So it is not in a good place. I would nuance what you said that, you know, things break. I've, I've said things have already broken. The bond market, you might argue is broken. I would argue, argue that the energy markets might be broken as well, too, with the way that they trade, um, the stock market might have already broken. It already had a 20% correction. So it's, maybe it's not that the Fed raises rates until things until something breaks, which was the old line. It's the Fed will keep raising rates till enough things break because we've already broken some things.
1: So, uh, by the way, that is a sneak peek. Uh, that is hitting the website right now. Um, so you can go check it out. So, George, are, is the bond market functioning properly?
2: Well, listen. I mean, um, liquidity has been challenging for, for quite some time this year. You know, the the, the first half was you know a uh, a, a multi-flood <laughs> uh, terrible year in the bond market. I mean, we've never seen losses like that ever. Um, and that, you know, to be expected, we were going from such low rates to a big uh, increase in rates. That's why I referred to in the beginning the rate shock happens. That was the first half of the year and that you know is still reverberating through the system don't get me wrong it's still going through the system even though we've seen rates come back down here this kind of back and forth has created a lot of confusion and also realized volatility has remained very high and, and and when that happens people like take down their balance sheet risk exposure and by doing that that means you can only trade so much in terms of size and so 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 sizes of trades get smaller people get more defensive and it creates more of this kind of back and forth two way price action and that that you know, it does amplify some of the moves that we're seeing. Uh, there's a, you know, there's a measure, measures, there's a measure on on Bloomberg that, that looks at overall liquidity, which is a pretty good one, um, and it's looking at the dispersion between old Treasuries and new Treasuries. Yeah, there's a preference for new Treasuries; they're the bigger benchmarks, they're more liquid, you can trade them more actively. You know, these these, these this dispersion actually just made a, a a second or third high. You know, the worst case was COVID; but that was a complete dysfunctional time time period. Uh, the other time was right before the the Fed started hiking in two thousand fifteen, and so yeah, the market is definitely under the, the bond market is definitely under pressure. You know, liquidity, you know, is definitely um, at a premium, and that's leading to you know very you know, challenging trading environment for sure. Mm.
1: Is um, it, do you think we're going to see continued volatility now that the Fed has basically said they're data dependent?
2: That's a really good good question. Good point, and that's I I think so yes. Because now we go from like we're not on cruise control,
3: yeah.
2: And you go from like you need to really understand where the data is going to, and no one has a crystal ball, including myself, and and we don't we just don't know. But you know, we have our assumptions, we have our kind of you know basic you know thesis on where we think we are in the cycle. Uh, but as each new data each new data point comes out, it's gonna you know force you know, one side of the boat to go to the other side of the boat, and we're gonna keep kind of swaying back and forth until we get some certainty that we either have have or will uh, dodge a recession, or if not, uh, how deep will it be if the Fed doesn't you know pull back? And then we're going to start to guess: Are they going to start shrinking the hikes? So they went to the seventy five, which is really you know, you know large by historical standards? Do they go to fifty? Do they go to twenty five? Like what what makes them pause? Like we're going to be second guessing ourselves for the next uh, three months at least, three to four months. Up until the midterms, quite frankly, I think like, this is just going to be par for the course. And and, uh, you know, we should ex- that. That's why I, I feel like if rate vol is high, uh, eventually it's going to expose equity vol to an and FX vol. And then you get this more of a more of a macro picture where people cannot just you know be on one side of the trade and just just stay long only. Uh, this is going to be a trader's market.
3: Mm.
1: Um. We're going to mind that in one second, but we have a great question from Ralph. What does George make of the fact that bond investors would have been better off holding the junk bond ETF versus the TLT year to date in terms of price?
2: Look, I mean, uh, actually, you know, high yield has a decent amount of duration component, too. So you're, you're, you are taking advantage of that sort of kind of rates rallying back is also helping out high yield by extension. Uh, I, I don't think there's much to think about it. I mean, I, I am still nervous about credit. Uh, I haven't, you know, changed my view on that. So I, I think, you know again, these are, uh, you know, potentially bear market rallies. We'll see if they have legs or not. Uh, but I think it's maybe a, a better trading vehicle. Uh, mm-hmm. but maybe not necessarily a great investment yet.
1: Uh, and and you, Ralph is asking that question because um, junk bonds, which are really high yielding bonds issued by companies that are that are thought to be riskier you get paid more for buying their debt because there's a higher risk they will default um it's a very liquid well-established market but that's why it's called junk um versus the the treasury which is supposed to be rock solid haven and that's why he's asking it seems weird that something in this environment that's riskier would outperform i think you just gave a great explanation as to why it is it's been benefiting from the sort of bear market rally that we've seen um are corporations is the is the corporate bond market better positioned in any way george uh to weather this are you looking at that what, it, what are you recommending in terms of portfolio in this environment
2: Mm-mm. so I, actually you know the corporate bond market broadly speaking even high yield in some areas are should be able to weather if we have a garden variety recession you know something akin to the late 80s early 90s or early 2000s coming out of the dot com period Especially because during the COVID period, where money was cheap and, and rates were low and spreads were super tight on on credit bonds, you know, corporations issued a ton and took advantage of you know, funding. And so, they're corporate corporate America not as worried about. I'm much much more concerned about the smaller, mid sized companies that might you know have a, a difficulty at actually you know getting credit. But that's and that's where you get a typical recession is that the those the haves and have nots between credit. And the corporate bond market should be able to weather that storm. Mm.
1: I I want to return to this issue of inflation because I think this is really, really puzzling people. And and we know, by the way, we talked about the Google search with recession. We know the reason that, you know, uh, Washington politicians everywhere are doing their best to bat away these questions because inflation was the big issue. I mean, it may end up costing uh, people their, their seats because Americans have been hit so hard by everyone around the world has been really struggling with the high cost. Of fuel and food and everything else, um, you have some charts that are really interesting in terms of how quickly inflation can come down. I asked you that before, but I want to look at these charts. So you have one that's headline CPI versus PPI, um, so consumer prices versus producer prices. What is this telling us? Why why is this something that you're looking at?
2: Yeah, I think this is a great chart to to think about, especially for the Fed's reaction function, and then how does you know the economy at large react to you know, future price increases. And so this is a lot of history. This goes back to the 1970s. Uh, if you look at the beginning of the chart, that you'll notice that the red line, which is the PPI, and just overall kind of you know what co- companies are paying in terms of their input costs, were rising much faster than consumer prices back in the early 70s. But then there was a, you know, a recession in 73, 70, 74, 75 that pulled back down, which is, again, evidence that recessions do kill re- inflation. So you want to fix inflation, you know, create a recession, you' it, you'll get it down pretty quickly. but what what happens is the echo or the second or third waves can get worse. So if you don't really fix the inflation problem and all you did was just temporarily um, you know put you know, brushed it under the rug, then you create the problems for a bigger inflation wave down the road. And that second wave that I've circled there in green is when corporates start to raise prices at the same speed as consumer prices, uh, I mean at the prices that they're getting from their cost of inputs, they're passing them along to the consumer, then you get into that kind of pr- that spiral where you know consumers demand more wages and then kind of kind of feeds on itself mm-hmm. like that's when you get this kind of uh, more permanent inflation, and that's when the Fed has to go even harder so that's why you know when Chair Powell was saying that you know price stability you know matters more for the long run success of the job market in, in a healthy economy he's he's actually being very honest because if you don't get inflation under control, it's going to come back you can't just like push it away. Uh, I think that you know people have gotten a taste of what inflation looks like, and if we get you know to a point where we start giving e- giving out easy money again, people are going to start to just you know you know it, it create this mess all over again. So that you know if you may, may, maybe move to the next slide if you don't mind, page six, which is built on this same same concept but a longer look. I have these little gray bars overlaying the CPI as well as the Fed rate, which is in blue, and then the the underneath at the bottom is GDP, which is the black line. And so you can see those gray bars, which are recessions, whenever you have really high inflation like we did in the, in the 70s through the early 80s, then you get a GDP decline, the Fed hikes raised too much, you get a, you know, a recession, and then you kind of do that over and over again. It took four recessions to really kill inflation from the 70s into the early 80s. I don't think anyone wants to repeat that.
1: We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. So what so if you're the Fed and you're and you're looking at that, I mean, it would explain, I suppose, why they're trying to aggressively front load those those hikes um, and and tighten to try to make sure that they get it early so that they don't have to have four recessions in order to tackle it.
2: Correct. And also means that they probably won't come to the rescue if stocks were to ever come down again, because they're going to have to keep rates high.
1: So that that what I'm looking at, that doesn't look like that's priced in the market for the last two days.
2: No, it's not. This is just a short-term relief rally. We'll see how it goes.
1: So that's really interesting. Why do you think, if everyone's looking at this data, that people are getting so ahead of themselves thinking the Fed's going to pivot? It, have we just been trained that way in the last period of Fed monetary policy that that is what happens
2: yeah, there's that. I mean, I think the, the the whole FOMO concept has not really been put to bed either. So there's still, you know, there's still, and it's still still a traders type market. Um, and and we're in the middle of summer, and we're going into August. I feel like this is, you know, this is more just market, you know, trading, not necessarily mm. big long term view or bet here.
1: And that, you're talking about that in terms of equities. Is it the same for bonds?
2: To a certain extent as well. Because, I mean, there's a limitation to how much 10-year can rally if the Fed is not done hiking yet. I mean, I mean, yes, they can invert the curve even more so. And that's you know completely possible. The Fed can do whatever it wants with the front end. But at some point, there's going to be a disconnect between like, if the short-term rate's at three and a half four percent 4% and the 10-year's at 25 That doesn't make any sense. So, um, you know, eventually rates will lift up with it, and then you get that yeah, you know, the you know the last bigger sell off in the thir- end of third quarter, fourth quarter, markets realize the Fed means business, regardless of the, the 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 actual growth data, which again we won't have full proof until deep in Q4 and early Q1. If we are in a recession, that's much more uh, binding. And so, like you can't you can't have it both ways, basically. And so, I think that that's when the markets will wake up and realize again if they don't wake up sooner. Um, we have Jackson Hole and in, 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 at the end of August we have the September meeting, which will be also important we have a, a couple a couple of inflation prints to get through it's too soon to say that you know we've completely you know won the battle or won the war on inflation maybe we've won uh, one battle for now mm.
1: and it's interesting because uh, you know do you worry that when you see Risk assets rallying. We did just get a little bit of fiscal something passed in Washington that it sort of undoes what the Fed is trying to do in terms of inflation expectations. Are the markets working against the Fed right now by by with this rally?
2: Well, listen. The, again, Fed's tools are very blunt, and, and they ultimately come down to a version of financial conditions tightening. And so the market just eased for the Fed, both on the rates side as well as you know credit and equities. So we know that now the Fed has to work a little bit harder if they truly are trying to get at aggregate demand gets completely driven and keyed off of wealth effect. People feel wealthier. They will start to spend money again at a time where we still have supply chain constraints and the risk for inflation to kind of reflare up again. That just makes the Fed's job even harder.
1: Mm. I want to get to one more chart you have because um, it's anytime I see warning, I want to put it up. And this is the dollar. Annual change in DXY, a warning. What? Talk to me about this chart.
2: Yeah, this is a chart, a great chart from our FX team, and you know we're, you know, we're just basically highlighting each time we've seen a, a, a very sharp and fast rise in the dollar, something breaks around the world. We don't know what, I and mean, because obviously if we did, we would we would not be here talking to each other, it'd be a, on an island somewhere. <laughs> um, but it, be, uh, nonetheless, I mean, something usually breaks. We're a dollarized world, and dollars are still in short and high demand. And th- there's, you know, there's all these weird things happening on right now. You, you look at the reverse repo program at the Fed, all this extra dollars are sitting at the Fed. It's just something's up with the dollar. I don't think, you know, even if the Fed expectations were to completely unwind, which I think they won't, uh, there's demand for the dollar. So I think that the the whole, you know, the whole dollar wrecking ball that people have as their theory, I the think it's, you know, it's it's true. And it, it has, we have not had that cathartic moment yet. So if we have the cathartic moment of one bigger final flush, The dollar will probably rally, uh, you know, to new highs, as or maybe at least stay at 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 these high levels for for a while,
1: and then look out, because when that happens, as you can see on your chart, all hell broke loose. Any any area that you're particularly worried about the Um, dollar taking out, if it's a wrecking ball this time around, the problem is, as you said, it's very hard to forecast where that happens.
2: I mean, look, I'm still concerned about emerging markets. Um, Anyone that's just borrowed cheaply for the last couple of years that are dollar centric.
1: You need to be careful. Um, I have to ask this question because the handle is so hilarious. Who sent them to the nursing home on Twitter it wants to know, have bonds broke the 40-year channel of lower yields?
2: So, so my definition, kind of like, almost like an NBER recession view where like, you have to have two quarters of negative growth or you know, a long enough period of, of, of weakness to characterize it as a recession. My view is like, we maybe have broken the, the 40-year bond bull market uh, run my view was we need at least two quarters of rates staying above 3% and right now we're not so you know, we we got uh, above that level in Q2 we stayed there into the close i think you know roughly around that level um on average for the quarter if Q3 were sub 3% and heading lower again it could have just been an anomaly of what we just went through um again short term rates reacting more to the inflation move than the long term rates cuz the long term rates know that deep, you know, long term, the U.S. has structural issues mm-hmm. on demographics as well as just uh, all this debt in the system. It's hard to keep high rates. So I think that, you know, you could say at a minimum, we're going to go sideways. And, you know, and that could be doesn't mean we enter into a bear market. This idea that you have a bull market for 40 years means you have to enter into a bear market. I don't buy that because we need low rates to keep this thing going.
1: Mm, that's a great point. It doesn't have to have to you know, look in that V shape. So so if I it's it's been a fascinating conversation, George, and if I'm sort of listening to what you're saying, it sounds like you are you are way more cautious than a lot of people out there. You're concerned that this is an overreaction by the market, both equities and bonds. You know, the, the Fed does not have a cape on. They are not going to come to the rescue. They may still be more aggressive than we anticipate. Inflation is still a problem that's got them handcuffed. Is that a fair is that a fair That's a great assessment?
2: Summary. <laughs> That's yeah, a great summary.
1: So what, are, what are, is cash is cash? The recommendation in, under those circumstances, is there anywhere to hide for this sort of realization that everyone's mispricing everything right now?
2: No, look, I, I still think the. and you know, I've been saying this, you know, the, the very front end of the, of the credit curve offers you yield. Even front end treasuries offer you yield for the first time. They're not necessarily cash, but they're close enough to cash. Uh, You look for anything that's yield and high quality, you know, mortgage related products also look interesting. They had a really tough first half of the year. Uh, These are high quality, liquid, fixed income portfolios like like that's where you need to, like, you know, weather the storm. And then, you know, if you know, we'll see how the risk markets behave uh, in the coming months and quarters. You know, there's gonna be values to be had going forward. I, I just don't think you should chase the chase the market
1: some sound and sage advice. George, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Great to be here. Thank you.
1: We're going to keep the conversation going. As George said, these are really complex, uh, complex markets to go through. We've got another um, in our special series this week. Uh, Raul caught up with David Rosenberg. They're going to be all over the bond conversation, as well as the daily briefing tomorrow. Andreas uh, Andreas larsen is going to be back with Jim Bianco, so you won't want to miss that. Thanks to all of you for watching. Take care and good luck out there.